Or to passage today comes from 1 Corinthians 15. So if you guys have a Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Um, it starts out a little bit weird. There's a lot of uh, weird terminology in here. Um, and then uh, it goes into a very uh, a powerful promise. Uh, and it's something that God expects from us. And so I'm going to read this passage. It comes from 1 Corinthians 15. Um, and it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the, Im- for the perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ therefore my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Uh, so there's a lot of terminology here about perishable and imperishable, and um, you know, like uh, what are some of the things? Yeah, like yeah, he talks about perishable a lot, but he's basically talking about that we exist in this um, mortal, perishable, like being. Right, uh, I'm taking philosophy right now, and there's a lot of. I don't know if you guys have ever taken philosophy classes, but there's a whole lot of like you know talk about um, you know what is real, what is reality, and there's a lot of people. Uh, there's philosophers be- that believe that um, that we're uh, we're just like material. So everything that we exist, even our consciousness, is just material. It's just like electrical impulses in the brain that causes our our our, our you know our Bodies to have consciousness, and then there's the people that believe that we're all um, just uh, um, we're, we're all just like uh, like spiritual. There's no material being about us. Our bodies do not exist. You know, there's that whole idealist understanding of existence is that like we're we're just what we perceive through our senses. Um, but what what uh, Paul is talking about, and he, what he's talking about is. This dualist understanding of our reality. We're physical flesh, but we're also a spiritual being. And he's saying that we exist right now in this physical flesh, right? Our bodies is the perishable. Uh, we are this, you know, hunk of meat that exists. and But um, inside of us is a soul, and we have a future which is going to be this imperishable uh, that will be on for eternity, this immortality that uh, Jesus um, brings to us through his death and his resurrection and ultimately when we when that time comes when Jesus does come back and we are we, we are raised up in glory you know you know we might be dead we might be buried you know you know wherever we are there will be a raising of the dead there will be uh, the in the last days you know the, the the dead will rise right and so my grandmother and my grandfather who are buried in you know you know Rosemont cemetery and you know in, in Los Angeles they will rise from the dead. They're Christians. They're believers. They'll rise from the dead. We'll all rise. 
Right? And if we're alive when Jesus comes back, right, we might not die, but we will be glorified in this sense, and we will experience this victory over death. Right? Death, where you know, is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul exhorts us, Therefore be immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And I'm really going to focus on that last aspect of this passage, but we're going to incorporate the rest of what we read. But in Paul, here in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about our faith. And he tells us to be steadfast and to be immovable, unwavering, right? Steady, constant, stable. Um, you know, he's exhorting us in regards to our faith and our dedication to Jesus to be steadfast, to be immovable. You know, now when we look at the Bible, it's filled with stories of people that were steadfast in their calling, right? As a matter of fact, when you read the Bible, when you read all of the major characters of the people in the Bible, all of them had this aspect about them, right? You know, they all messed up, right? Every single person, you know, great person of God that's in, that's in the Bible, they all messed up, except for Jesus, right? Minus Jesus, everybody messed up, right? You know, they all at one point messed up, but they all had this in common, is that they were steadfast, right? When, when, when God gave them a calling, they stuck to it and they were immovable. Noah, right? God tells them, build this big ark, right? This big boat. Um, you know, historians, you know, theologians believe that it took Noah 50 to 75 years to build the ark, right? They had, they didn't have like advanced tools back then. It wasn't like they had, they, you know, you could borrow a crane, rent a crane or rent bulldozers to move these heavy things apart. He like literally had to build, right? It took him, they say that it could probably took him 50 to 75 years to build the ark. Nobody believed him, right? Nobody, not even his family. They're like, what are you doing? His friends would come and be like, what are you crazy? Like, what do you mean this ark, right? But he, he's steady, he builds the ark, and he, and he brings, um, you know, redemption through his line, right? God brings this promise, you know? Um, and, and Abraham, one of the greatest, greatest examples of faith, you know, and, and Abraham, he did mess up, right? You know, he had his moments, he had these moments where he would, you know, he wasn't his best self, and yet, even Abraham, he was steadfast. God tells him, you know, gives him this promised son of Isaac, right? This precious son. He's been waiting for, for, for decades, right? He's like in, in his 90s, and he finally has a son, right? Through his, 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 his real offspring, right? Isaac. And then, and then God says, you know, I want you to take him up to this mountain, tie him up, right? You know, and sacrifice him to me. And then homie was steadfast. Right? He woke up that morning, you know, and he told his son, let's, let's go for a walk, right? Took him up to a mountain. It's kind of crazy, right? But yet he was steadfast in his calling. Joseph, right? You know, he's he gets beat up. You know, he's a little proud. You know, he he doesn't he doesn't have the best character, and his brothers, right, are a little angry with him, and so sell him off into slavery. And he gets put into this house of Potiphar, and then he gets accused of rape, and he gets sent to prison, right? And he gets forgotten about. Right? And throughout all of this. The amazing thing about Joseph is that he remains steadfast in his loyalty to God. Right? Even when he's in the in the pits of the prison, he continued to remember God for who he was. You know, Moses, forty years in the wilderness, steadfast. David, right, one of the best, greatest kings that Israel knew. Right? You know, he, he's steadfast in his devotion and his love and his adoration for the Lord 
And when you read the Bible, you read the Psalms, right? The vast majority of the Psalms are written by David, and it's a testament to his dedication to the Lord. You see, like people like Queen Esther, right? You know, Haman wants to take out the Israelites, you know, create these bogus laws, and then she takes this stand, right? You know, she 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 becomes queen, but she does something that you know women were not allowed to do, right? Is is to you know raise up these issues, and yet she takes her place, and and she brings redemption and salvation for her people. You know, Job is a great story. Loses everything and yet continues to be faithful, continues to to be devoted to the Lord. You know, you have Apostle Paul, one of the greatest you know apostles, the one that wrote most of the New Testament, and he's he gets he wrecked in in, in the stories that he tells, you know, about his his missionary journeys are crazy. And he's like shipwrecked, he's stoned, he's left for dead, he's beaten, he's whipped, you know, he's. He's, he's, he's persecuted beyond belief and yet he continues on, on this drive to spread the gospel you know Jesus Christ himself is the son of God born a man he lives 33 years to, to suffer the greatest punishment in the history of creation and yet he continues to be steadfast you know he's approaching the cross and I would have been like dude you know like, like you know I think there's another way to go about this <laughs> but and yet he's steadfast. He's immovable from his calling. And he brings redemption to all of mankind. That's steadfastness. And this is what Paul is talking about in this, in this passage. Steadfastness is a very important aspect of the kingdom of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's something that all of us should be growing in. Right? You know, we know it as patience. Right? It's in the fruit, in the... And when you talk, when it talks about fruit of the spirit in the Bible, um, what 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 this concept is talk, is translated out into English is patience. But the Greek word for it, I, I feel like it's so much more. It's makrathunia, and it means long suffering. We don't use that word much in the English vocabulary. Right? We don't talk about long suffering because we've gotten to a place in our in the world where you know we've kind of eliminated long suffering, right? Right? When 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 we want to order something, you know, it comes next day. Yesterday, right, our turtle tank started leaking. I have turtle water, like water everywhere, right? And then I needed to buy like a like a sealant to to seal our turtle tank, right? I ordered it yesterday. It came this morning, right? Because I knew I could, like I need it now, right? This water is leaking. I need it now. And we we've, we've created this existence where everything that we want. Instantly, right? Long time ago, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to write them a letter, put it in the post, wait like weeks for it to get delivered, and then wait another week for it to come back to you, and then you, they're like, yes, I will be there, right? <laughs> like that was how I think of it. But now we've come where everything is instantaneous, right? We don't know what long suffering is about, right? We don't know, right? Long, I remember a long time ago, before call waiting, when I was in, when I was in high school, right? I would call my girlfriend, and then it would be busy, and I'll be waiting. I'll be like, oh, like, I have to wait. I have to wait. And I call back. It's still busy. I'm like, oh, right? Like that, that for me felt like long suffering, right? But we don't even deal with that anymore. It's like, boop, boop. Oh, I got somebody on the other line, too. You know, or, or even then, we just text people, right? They get, they, they receive it no matter what, right? It just pops up in their face. But we don't understand this, this, this concept of what long suffering really is. But this is the heart of the meaning of what Paul is talking about, what the Bible talks about, is enduring, persevering, not wavering, 
right? Despite the suffering and the obstacle, despite what the world may bring our way, it's being steadfast and immovable, right? It's so much more than just patience, just not getting upset when something bad happens to you, right? And, and there's a saying where it says, patience is a virtue. Well, it's true because it's a kingdom virtue. Patience, or makrathumia, right? What, what the Bible is talking about here is steadfastness, is a kingdom virtue. It's a kingdom value. It's up there with humility, joy, peace, all of that good stuff. Now, I believe that steadfastness is important to God for one reason, right? It's important to, in the kingdom of God is because God is steadfast. You know, he is unchanging. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. Right? It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. He is a faithful God. He, he, his love is steadfast. He's not fickle like us, right? Uh, like you know, we're like, oh, let's be, let's be BFFs. Oh yeah, let's be best friends. And then they do something annoying. You're like, oh, I hate that person. You know, <laughs> like how we how we can get. We're just like so fickle about our emotion. But God doesn't do that with us. God's love is steadfast. Even when I mess up majorly, you know, and I go to God and God, I don't mess up. And He's He doesn't say like, oh, I love you less today. Right? His love for us is steadfast. As a matter of fact, out of the 219 times the word steadfast is used in the Bible, 200 times is followed by the word love, and it's talking about the love of God. Steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, never ceases. Because He is steadfast, He wants us to be steadfast. Our God is immovable, He is unshakable. His goodness is steadfast, His righteousness, His holiness, His justice, His mercy, His kindness, is all steadfast, right? It, it's not wavering in any way. And as His children, made in His image, He wants us to be steadfast, unwavering, immovable. He wants us to be like Him. He's the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. He knows the beginning from the end, so He knows everything that will happen, Right? He knows that, and he knows that there is a need for our steadfastness. Right? When God looks at the life of, 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 of uh, you know, Mo, or when he, God looks at the life of, of, of Molly, like she, she, he looks into your life, and and he knows the beginning from the end, and he knows, oh, they need steadfastness in their life. He 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 knows that there is a need for our steadfastness for our uh, unwavering constant you know this patience long suffering that the bible talks about hebrews 10:36 says for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of god you may receive what is promised god is steadfast so he wants us to be steadfast because there is a need for it if we want the promises of the lord we have to be steadfast. God, God, you know, didn't tell us that following Him would be easy. He never said, you know, like if you follow me, it's going to be a piece of cake. A lot of Christians they have it twisted. They don't, they don't, they don't fully understand what it means to follow the Lord. Matthew seven fourteen it says, "For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." 
That's why God wants us to learn to be steadfast. He knows that the race we are on is not a walk in the park. It's a marathon with obstacles and enemies that are out to make you stumble and go off the path, right? And so He desires us to be steadfast. Now, what kind of steadfastness is God looking for? We're good at being steadfast about certain things, right? When football season starts, I'm steadfast. I'll pay whatever it takes for me to get the NFL package. Every Sunday after church, Monday morning when it's Sunday in America, I'll wake up and i watch my Colts game. I'm very steadfast. Or when I start a certain video game and I really enjoy it, I'm steadfast about finishing that game, right? You know, you know, Josh, Josh, he was about to get married and homie was steadfast, right? All these problems came up and he was on a mission. I'm going to get married, right? And all these things that came out, he's like, I don't care. He's in this mission, right? Steadfast, was going to get married and post pictures of that hotel and, you know, kind of gross everybody out. But he was on a mission, right? He's like, I, I am set out to do this. I don't care what stands in my way. I'm going to, it's, it's going to happen, right? And, and he got it done. But what does true steadfastness that God wants for us look like? How is it produced? Because it's not an intrinsic thing that we're born with. We're not born with steadfastness. Some of us may be more patient than the other, but you know, when it comes to it, we're not, we're not born with this thing called steadfastness. Our kids, we take them to the mall and they walk like a little bit longer than they're really normally and they act like they've been walking in the wilderness for 40 years. They'll like collapse. You then we'll be like, he used to like, we used to stroller him everywhere because we had these double strollers and Ezra was born. And so Ethan was on a stroller longer than the average kid. And then we would go to the mall without a stroller and then he would be like, oh, I can't walk anymore. And he literally went from the car to the entrance of the mall and then he just collapsed. He would just be like, ah, like, I don't want to walk anymore, right? We're not born with steadfastness. So what does makrathumia look like? Where does it come from? And I want to tell you today three things that produce steadfastness in our lives and what it looks like. And the three things are pressure, the prize, and the purpose. If you're taking note right now, pressure, the prize, and the purpose. Number one is the pressure is adversity. Trials, obstacles, difficult times. Pressure is resistance. Pressure is not having things go the way that we want. Pressure is when God disturbs the waters of our lives. It's waiting for the Lord for an answer prayer and it's just not happening. Pressure is when your job security is threatened or when, even worse, they let you go at your job. Pressure is when you get a speeding ticket for $100 and you only have $99.95 in your bank account. Pressure is when a loved one gets sick. Pressure is when problems come up in your marriage. Pressure is not fun. Right? Nobody enjoys the kind of pressure. Right? Like We like pressure in the sense like when we play basketball, right? We, we're like, oh yeah, we're about to win. We like that kind of pressure, but when it actually involves your livelihood, we don't like that. It's not fun. But pressure is necessary. And it's something that Christians are not exempt from, but as a matter of fact, it's something that God tells us that we have to have and that we will have in this world. We will be persecuted. We will have trials. We will have difficulties. Without pressure, you can't have the steadfastness. It's called long-suffering, not long, easy way out, you know? You know, like, 
it's like training for a marathon. You know, I, I think God had me run a marathon back in 2010 just for the purpose of me being able to use it in, in these sermon analogies, right? <laughs> or in 2010, and I got really depressed because I really liked this girl for a long time, and it wasn't Mina. And then, she, and then we went on like some dates. I asked her out finally, and then, and then she said no. <laughs> she went on like five dates, and then she just said, "Oh, Caleb, you're, you're too loud." And uh, she was like a su- she has a super melancholy, right? And so she, and we're still really good friends. Mina calls her my ex-girlfriend. I find that very annoying. But then, you know, we did, and so like I got really depressed for like six months. And I remember in this time of depression, I had all this free time. Right, I was working, and then so I started to run every day. Right, we had a little gym in our neighbor, in our apartment that we were living in, with my roommates. And I started running every day, and I remember the first time I ran a 10k. I'm like, ah, oh, this is like so hard, right? But I kind of pushed through, and I decided I'm gonna run a marathon. And so me and some girls from our church, right, Rachel Boyle used to be here in Busan. We decided we're gonna run a marathon together. I started training, and I remember like the first time that I ran a 10k, it was hard. Right, I like I, I like I, I on the treadmill. I I was like, oh, this this is not fun. And then, but then as soon as you know, I started to really train. I realized that I could endure the pain, right? And I started to run longer distances. I started to run like three 10k's a week, right? And then and then I would run like three 10k's a week, and then a 15k. And then and after a while, after about a year of training, I was running like you know a three 10k's a week, and then I would rest a few days, and I would run 25k. Right. Me, and my, me and John Newfeld would run like up and down the Hangang River, right? And I, I realized, like, if I didn't do those 15Ks and those 20Ks, and if I wasn't pushing myself, and if my body wasn't going to that limit, I would have never finished the race. That's exactly what the Bible tells us. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you need trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And God has us on a race. And we have to train. We have to have those hills and those valleys in our lives, obstacles to stretch us. If it didn't push, you know, if I didn't push myself to run those distances, right, those 15Ks, the 10Ks, the 25Ks, I would have never finished the race. And I almost didn't. I remember, like, at, at the 38K mark, right, my body just, Collapsed. I think it was like a 35. Marathon is like 42 k's, right? So at the 35 k, I was like, oh, doing okay, and then I just hit this wall, and my body just started to shut down. And I was just walking. And I was walking. You guys have heard this story before, right? I was walking, and I, was like, I walked for about three k, three kilometers, and I saw this old lady. She had to have been in her 50s. She had finished the race. She, she had her little medallion, and she was walking home the other way. And I said. I'm not. This, I'm not gonna let this beat me, right? And she, she's like, oh, right. And she didn't even look like she was that fit. And she finished that race. I started running again, right? I remember the last 5k was like the hardest thing I ever done in my life. I pushed through, right? And I was able to finish it. But if I had not pushed myself, if I had not had those seasons of stretching in in those in those months and that year of training, I would have not finished the race. And that's how we are. That's what our trials are like because they will come. We just have to switch our mindset with faith. From is is this going to destroy me to I will overcome. And this will make me stronger. When trials come, we have to shift our mindset. 
and how we perceive it. But know that Christ, Jesus, you know, pressure is not defeat. Adversity and trial is not your defeat. When they come, it's not because we're less. It's because God wants to show us how much more we are capable of. A lot of times when we when things happen, we just feel like failures, right? Something will happen, something bad will happen. We're like, I'm such a failure, right? I've had so many of those moments in my life where certain things will happen. I get all depressed. I'm like, oh, I'm a failure, right? But then God brings those seasons into our lives so that we He can really show us how how strong we actually are, how capable we actually are, how how, how, how much stretching that we can actually take. Not, it's not there to show us our weaknesses and our lack, but it's there to reveal our strength and our abundance, what we are capable of, right? Now, I remember Ethan. This is what I want with, with my kids. And I remember the first time Ethan started to take Taekwondo. I've told you this story before, right? Where we told him, hey, Ethan, I think you can walk to Taekwondo on your own. And so he started, this is when he was seven years old, Korean age, right? And he went outside, he went downstairs. He's capable. He's, he could reach the little buttons to get himself into our house. And so, and I told him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch right, from up here. We live on the 25th floor. I'm going to look down and I'm going to watch you because I can t- watch him all the way till he walks into his He's right next to our apartment complex. Right? I see him walking. He has his red jacket on and he's walking. And he like, you know, he like, he, and I call out to him. I'm like, Ethan, I'm right here. And he looks up and he falls down. He gets up and he gets home and then he walks all the way to Taekwondo. And then around the time that it's ending, I would look down and then I see him walking out and he's walking back you know and then he's, he's coming through. but I remember the first time he walked back by himself I, it was getting a little dark and he's walking he's walking he's walking I could hear the elevator come up and as soon as he opened the door he saw my face and he just started to cry he's like and he was so scared the whole time he wasn't crying right he wasn't crying he wasn't crying right when he saw my face he goes so, but it looks snot coming out of his nose and he's like started crying right but but I knew that he was able to do it and so I pushed him again the next time I was like Ethan you should you should still walk there by yourself and I challenged him and he would go and the next time he didn't cry but I could tell he was scared he was like he'd come home and he's like and then after a while he just he just started to go on his own because I knew that he's able to do it he's old enough so he's capable enough to do it he just didn't know that he was able to do it that first time he came back, he told me, I don't want to go there by myself. Right? But I knew that he could do it. And now, he just goes without even telling me. Sometimes I'm in the office, I hear the door shut, and he's like, he's gone. He didn't even say bye, right? He just took off and he comes back by himself. And that was, that was only like a year ago, right? It's because he was capable, he just didn't know that he was capable. It took the stretching, it took those moments of kind of fear, Moments of insecurity, or you know, whatever it was, and he needed to feel that and realize that he can overcome. And that's what God has for us in our trials. Whatever you guys are going through, is not there to break you. It's there to reveal something greater in your life, reveal something greater in your capabilities. Right? The other ingredient to steadfastness is number one is pressure. Number two is the price. If we want to be steadfast, our eyes must be set on the prize. Okay. And I remember when I ran that marathon, the prize ultimately, you know, in the year within the year of our training, me training for the marathon, me and Mina started dating, right? I think it was like six, seven months after that whole fiasco with that girl. 
and we started dating. And I remember the marathon became this thing where I wanted to prove to Mina that I could run a marathon, right? I remember a lot of it was the fact that like, hey, I'm, I'm finishing this marathon for no other reason but to show, you know, my girlfriend at the time that I could finish this marathon, right? <laughs> I, I ran, I finished. Now I have my eyes set on the prize. But it says in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endures the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In order for us to truly know and how, how to be steadfast in our faith, we have to have our eyes set on the prize of Jesus Christ. He has to be our focus. He has to be our constant, right? In math, we have variables and constants, right? Who did algebra? Who remembers algebra? Anybody remember algebra? <laughs> Mina claims that she was really good at math and that she could teach math. I'm like, you can't teach math, right? You don't know what x equals, right? But in math, there's these things called, you know, variables and constants, right? Where, where certain there's things, you know, like I started, I liked math until they added these numbers, these letters, right? Everything was fine until they started adding letters, and I was like, you know, this is, I think we're in the wrong class, right? You have these variables like X, Y, and Z, and, and, and you have these constant. It's a number that will always be that number, and everything gets resolved through that number, right? If you don't have that number, you can't solve the problem. Remember, this is algebra. The constant for us and our faith, it has to be Jesus. He has to be the constant that we're focusing on. And there's going to be a whole lot of variables in our lives. But we hold fast to our constant, that which does not change. Now I want to ask you, what is your constant? What is that? You know, what is that thing that does not change in your life? X plus Y equals seven. What is that seven in your life? A lot of people, it, it may be money, you know, a job. But they learn that those things are not constants; they're actually variables. When you're lost in the wilderness, you look to the sun as the constant for your direction. Right? What is your constant? The sun is the only constant. When you're lost in the woods, only thing you, know, you can't. I don't know if you ever like like try to find your way out of the woods based on trees. They all look alike, right? I'm gonna like, oh, there's that tree. Right? I'm gonna keep my eye on that tree. I'm gonna follow that tree. You're just gonna be walking in circles, right? You need that constant, and it's the sun. What, who is, what is that constant in your life? And is that constant really a constant? Is that constant really something that you can stead, stand on? In order for, for us to be steadfast, we must be connected to the one who is forever steadfast. The only way that we can truly be steadfast is to know and understand that, that our God is truly the only one that is steadfast, that can be relied upon. Right? He is the only one that is unchanging. He is the only one that is truly dependable. But, it, but it is, it's not just knowing about God, but it's knowing God in relationship. Now, true steadfastness comes from relationship. True relationship, right? 
you will never know God and His faithfulness and His steadfastness outside of relationship. Right? I learned this through marriage, right? You know, me and Mina, we get into some fights, and we we have some crazy fights sometimes, right? and, and 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 we'll like act really illogical to each other sometimes. But if I had gotten into a fight that that I have with some random lady on the street, say like I get into a fight with some random lady on the street, and then she tells you like. Like, oh, you're sorry, but why are you sorry? Do you even know why you're sorry? I'm going to look at that lady and be like, I'm gone, right? <laughs> I'm going to hear and listen to this, right? Like, like, what are you talking about? This illogical stuff, right? And as a parent, we learn, you know, we learn this, that, that we're steadfast. We have to be steadfast parents. Being a great parent is not being a good parent for a week. It's about being a great parent, like, over the course of their whole lives, right? And parenting, as we keep pushing through, we do it because of relationship. If some random woman came to me and said, can you change my son's diaper? Right? I might do it once, right? If this lady like, just looked like she was really having a bad day and, it, and gave me a baby, and I, I know how to change the diaper. I might do it once. But if this lady keeps coming to me every day and says, can you change my son's diaper? Right? I'm be like, what is wrong with you? Right? I'm not going to change your son's diaper like over and over again. Right? It's because there's no relationship there. Right? In order for, for steadfastness to really be re- a reality in your life, there needs to be that relationship. Right? Steadfastness comes from relationship. You have to see God in relationship and, and enjoy Him. Right? Enjoy His presence. Knowing of Jesus is one thing, but enjoying Him in relationship is a whole other thing. I want to ask you today, where is your relationship? What is your relationship like with Jesus like right now? Is He Lord? Is He Father? All right? Or is He just an acquaintance? Are you experiencing His steadfast love in relationship? Is He your prize? You know, there's times in my life where I don't feel very steadfast. Everything feels like it's all like getting flipped, turned upside down. And when I look at my life, and when I really look at my relationship with Jesus, I don't see him as this personal person being that I that I love and I cherish. I just see him as a concept in my mind. My mind and my relationship has slipped to a place where he's just become just a concept, an idea of God. But the key is relationship. When those trials and those adverse times, adverse circumstances come, it's not just the idea of God and the idea of Jesus that's going to help you remain steadfast. Right? That's the first thing. You need to have that relationship. It's going to be that relationship with Him where He is your prize. That's going to help you to be focused on Him and you see Him and you see that He is all-powerful. You see that He is in control. You see that He loves you. You see that He, he has done with everything that, anything and everything that He needs to do to save you, to redeem you, to, to, so that you can experience what you know, Paul talks about at the beginning of, the, of this passage where you can say death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Right? You can look to death, even death, and say death, where is your sting? You can say this because you have this relationship. You have your eyes set on the prize. You know, you're taking yourself into His presence, reminding yourself what He has done for you, how He has saved you and delivered you. The victory that He has given you. And when that becomes a reality to you, through a person, when the glorious truth of the gospel comes alive in you, 
in the person of Jesus Christ, you see him as that prize, you're going to be able to see steadfastness start to grow in you. It doesn't just come right away. You can't just expect it to be there. Because a lot of people, they have Jesus as a concept in their mind. They just see it like, oh yeah, I'm saved. Well, you know, what's your relationship with Jesus like? Oh yeah, I go to church. Oh yeah, you know. But then they're, 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 the relationship isn't there. And when trouble comes, Jesus is not to be the first person that they reach for. Right? When trouble comes, Jesus is not the person that are going to be, they're going to be able to, to feel that, that self-assuredness, that, that, that peace. It's not going to come from Jesus. They're going to start to grasp at things. Right? Have you ever seen a drowning person? They just grasp at whatever. I remember when I went to a church camp a long time ago. Right? And then this, 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 we were like kind of swimming on the edge. And then this kid was like kind of drowning a little bit. And he just grabbed onto me and pulled me down. Right? He wasn't trying to drown me. He was trying to save himself. Right? I remember I'd be like, ah, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Right? That's what you start to do. When, you know, if you don't have Jesus as your constant, you're going to start to grab at things. And start to, I need this. I need this. I need this to feel security. But all of a sudden you realize no, Jesus is not is your prize. He has to be your prize. And so, there's the pressure. It's about overcoming the trials and the adversities. There's the prize, the faith in Jesus Christ, the power of God through relationship with Him. And number three is purpose. Verse 58, in the passage that we read from 1 Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, your labor is not in vain. The third ingredient, or the third thing that's going to really produce steadfastness in you is to know your purpose. A purpose greater than anything that the world can offer you. As Paul's writing this, he's going through some incredible hardship. He's actually in prison. Right? He's in prison. You know, he's, he's in under house arrest. These are, it's, it's, it, it, he's being... He's being no, no, actually, First Corinthians. He's not in prison, but he's going through great persecution, right? This is the missionary journeys where he's getting beaten, he's getting shipwrecked, right? He's getting like, you know, tortured, he's getting whipped, and yet, you know, he's getting slandered. People are rejecting him, and yet he is steadfast because he lives with the purpose. He he knows that he has a purpose. His purpose is to do the will of the Lord. To always abound in the work of the Lord. Let me tell you, no matter where you are or what you're doing, if you are in true relationship with Jesus Christ, He will lead you into His work. And notice that Paul writes, work of the Lord and not work for the Lord. Because God's purpose for your life, His work, He's going to do it. He's going to do it through you, but it's going to be the work of the Lord. He will fulfill it in your life as you remain steadfast, immovable. And God says, it will never be in vain. Some of you think, I've been following for Jesus for so long, you know, what has it gotten me? Let me tell you, this is God's promise. It's never in vain. You have a purpose that's greater than anything that's out there in this world. You have a purpose that's beyond this world. It's to follow Him. Another word for purpose is calling. God has called each and every one of you. You all have a calling. And God will lead you into that calling. And here's the thing. God is a great designer. He's better than Louis Vuitton. You know, Salvatore Ferragamo. I don't know. 
all those fancy, you know, he's, he's the best designer. Right? God is calling you and God's calling for you is always going to be the perfect fit. Have you ever put something on and it just fits perfectly? You're just like, man, this thing was made for me. Right? I remember when, th- during that marathon time, I like I lost a little bit of weight. I, I think I, I, it was probably the thinnest I've been since I was like in high school. I, I, got, I look pretty thin and I got these suits made. Bad idea, right? Never get suits made after a diet. Right? <laughs> Always get it made before the diet, right? So I got these suits made too. It was like two for like 300 bucks. Went to this place and saw my, you know, my friend. Uh, and I remember putting on that suit after it was like designed for me and it fit perfectly. And I was like, man, this isn't made for me. This is, it's everything, I look great, right? I, look, I remember looking at myself and I was like, man, I look like, like I could be a model, right? I looked amazing, right? You could see the pictures in my living room, right? And that's the suit that I had made, I got married in. But you know what? God, when God calls you, His calling is going to be perfect like that in your life. He'll always be a perfect fit. Exactly what you want. Never too big, never too small. It's like Tiffany's wedding dress, right? You know, like Josh came to me. I remember they had gone to this wedding wedding dress maker and it, like, I remember Josh was, we had lunch that one day was Josh's, like, kind of like his bachelor party. We had to all sit separately. It wasn't, but it was still really fun. It was me, Josh, and AJ. And he was like, he looked a little depressed. He's like, oh, we got the, the, the wedding dress back from the designer, that the person that was supposed to make it. He showed me a picture and it looked like something that I could make myself, right? This just looked really bad. And then and he was like, oh, T- Tiffany's really, really sad. You know, and then so she, I, I gave him some advice. I was like, hey, you should go to these other places and maybe you can rent one that can fit her, you know, better. Because it just looked really bad, right? And then, and then, so they went on this mission, you know, and, and you know, like I said, he was steadfast, man. Homie was on a mission. He was going to get married no matter what. And then, and then they were able to find this one dress person and they were able to find a dress for her. And you know, Tiffany looked amazing at her wedding, right? She looked amazing because she got that dress. I suppose it fit her perfectly. It looked, it looked amazing on her. But you know, that's the way that God designs His calling for each and every one of us. His callings for us are perfect. But if we're going to experience the callings that He has for us, we have to be steadfast. You have to be unwavering because that calling might look too big for you right now. You might need some growing to do to fit that calling. Or that calling might seem a little bit too small for you right now. You might need to lose a little weight. You might need to lose a little pride. Right? A little bit of that self-centeredness. But as you remain steadfast in the Lord, He will bring you into His calling for your life. A purpose for your life that will be the perfect fit. But we have to remember that God is good. He loves us. He's for us. He has His best in mind for us. And we have to remain steadfast. As we remain steadfast in what God is doing in our lives and responding to Him constantly and and not wavering and continuing to remain in faith with Lord Jesus Christ. As we continue on this path, as we continue to race, right? The calling that God's going to fit around us is going to fit like that amazing suit that I fit after I had lost all that weight. I remember putting it on. I'm like, man, this is perfect. But that, that's what the calling of the Lord is like. Brothers and sisters, we have to remain in Him. 
through the trials, through the difficulties, remain in Him, through the ups and downs. And as He humbles us and as He continues to build and, and mature and, and strengthen us and, and grow us and increase us, right? if we're going to be able to experience those things in the Lord, we have to learn to be steadfast, to be immovable. Not being moved by our emotions and our feelings or our flesh and our desires, right? Not being moved by the things of this world. Not being moved by the circumstances and the obstacles that we face. And as we continue with these being steadfast in the Lord, we come to realize that the only thing that we are moved by is the voice of the Lord. And that's where we should be. We should be in a place where the only thing that truly moves us is the voice of the Lord. Where, where we're, you know, we're satisfied, we're content. I preached on contentment last week. We're content where we're at. And then what the, what, what's going to move us out of that? Voice of the Lord. Voice of the Lord calls and says, Hey Melvin, I want you to do this. And you're like, Oh, I can see it. That's the Lord. And the Lord will move you. And it will be closer into that place of your calling. Closer into that place where God wants you. But it's going to re- require your steadfastness and your unwaveringness for you to experience that. Hebrews 12 talks about God's kingdom and he describes it as a kingdom that is unshakable. The removal of things that are shaken, that is, that things that have been moved, made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. As we allow Jesus Christ to, to reign fully in our lives, we will become the ones that cannot be shaken. We will be immovable. That no matter what comes our way, our eyes will be fixed on Him as we manifest His power and the glory over the earth. And we become steadfast and immovable. Where the only thing that can truly move us is the voice of the Lord.